Good morning, Journey. Uh, glad you could join us online this morning. Um, a little bit of swapping roles this morning. Mark is going to be moderating comments while I teach this morning, so be sure and drop us some good comments. I would like to see Mark overwhelmed with this. This is the first time he's done this, so I would love for you to you know, make lots of Make sure they're relevant comments. Don't just flood him with, with stupid stuff like I do sometimes, but uh, make some good comments. If you'd like to follow along on version, the notes are on there. So, again, uh, thanks for being here this morning. Glad you could join us virtually. I think Mark mentioned this is week 10 of doing this, I believe. Uh, never would have dreamed we would be here this morning for 10 weeks of uh, virtual online worship, but it's it's good to have that as an option and glad so many of you join us every week and, and hope you can join in the conversation today. I think it's going to be fun. I think it'll be something that, that you'll enjoy discussing online as well. Um, this morning, we're going to continue our study in the Beatitudes. Mark has been teaching through that for the past, I think, five, five weeks. I believe this is the sixth Beatitude that we're speaking on. And during that time, I hope the one thing that you have gotten out of these these messages is that you must apply all of this together for it to work. Uh, when we talk about hungering and thirsting for righteousness, that's one of the things I really want to talk about today is being a peacemaker. Uh, in Matthew 5, 9, it says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. I'm going to break down that verse just a little bit, but if you're going to be a peacemaker, you have to have a goal. And I think if you're not hungering and thirsting for righteousness, you're going to miss something out in being a peacemaker. But in this first verse this morning, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. There's a little key in this verse as I was studying this this week that I'd never really thought about. Blessed are the peacemakers. We're going to get into that for the entire sermon. But I just wanted to take just a quick detour and talk about what it means to be a son of God. Many of us are familiar with the term being a child of God. Um, God is our father. We're adopted into his family with the same rights as, as a, a natural born child would be. But one of the things we don't talk often about is being a son of God. And what is going to be so important, and I want you to think about as I teach through this this morning on being a peacemaker, is being a son of God means that not only are you adopted into the family, but that you have the characteristics of the family, the same values of the family, and you're putting those forth as the head of the household, being God in this case, would be putting those things forth. So being a son of God is a big deal. It is showing that we, our reputation and God's reputation are on the line, and we're giving the same message as we as we speak about being a peacemaker. So think about being a son of God as you as you think about what it means to be a peacemaker this morning. Uh, definition of a peacemaker is someone who is actively seeking to reconcile people to God and to one another. Okay? There's two parts to this 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 thought is you're actively seeking to reconcile people to God, but also to one another. So the first step is we as Christians should be concerned with our neighbors, we should be concerned about whether they know God, if they're a follower of Jesus Christ or not. And we would like to see them reconciled to, Jesus, uh, to God. The only way to be reconciled to God is to be recognizing his son, Jesus Christ, is dying for our sins on the cross, paying the penalty for us so that we didn't have to, being buried, raised on the third day, and lives today with us. So if that's how you get reconciled to God is through Jesus Christ. The more complicated part to me that's a pretty thing. It sounds easy to follow. Living the life is not so easy, but, but in understanding the concept is, is pretty straightforward. However, reconciling to each other is sometimes difficult because there, our personalities, our preferences, our lives, and those things get in the way of how to reconcile to each other. 
And I want you to think this morning a little bit, too, about a difference in something that uh, I hadn't thought of. There's a bit of a difference in being a peacekeeper and a peacemaker. Um, we often think this being Memorial Day weekend, we think about troops and things being peacekeepers. They've gone to keep the peace somewhere. Uh, you often see images of the United Nations peacekeeping forces in a in a zone somewhere where there's a war and those guys with the blue helmets with the UN on it, those are the peacekeepers. Well, peacekeeping means that someone else has always already established the peace and they're just keeping it. And that's where we want to look at this morning is being a peacekeeper versus a peacemaker. We want to be peacemakers. We want to be the persons doing the active act of making peace with others. And the shalom is the word in Hebrew for peace. Uh, this morning I was uh, greeted by Aaron this morning, our drummer. He, he didn't have any idea what we were teaching on this morning. He greeted me with shalom. And I thought that was very fitting this morning because talking about peace, shalom is the word for peace. And what does that actually mean? Shalom is a broad term related to health, prosperity, harmony, and wholeness. It means perfect welfare, serenity, fulfillment, freedom from trouble, and liberation from anything which hinders contentment. Wow, there's a lot in that verse. Health, prosperity, harmony, wholeness, perfect welfare, serenity, fulfillment, freedom from trouble, and liberation of anything which hinders contentment. So when you're greeted with shalom, that means that is the things that someone else wishes to be in your life. They want to see you have health and prosperity and harmony and lack of conflict and, and liberation from the things that hinder you and hinder your contentment. Shalom is a word full of meaning. But in thinking about that, if we're going to be peacemakers, there's a lot in that verse that we're going to have to live up to. We're going to have to look at people's health. We're going to have to look at their prosperity, uh, living in harmony, wholeness of life, uh, hindrance from from conflict and being content. We're going to have to look at all those concepts in the role of being a peacemaker and how that applies to one another. Again, being reconciled to God and being reconciled to each other. And God is the author of peace, so peacemaking is a divine mission. Uh, this being a Memorial Day weekend, a lot of our, our thoughts are focused on those who, who lost their lives in uh, defending uh, our country and the, the values and freedoms that we have. Uh, so being a peacemaker there is a, is a little out of sorts for us uh, in thinking about it in those terms. But those those people that have lost their lives are important this weekend, but we need to, to realize how we actually make peace. Uh, that peace is a divine mission is what I'm thinking about, is those soldiers had a mission that they gave their lives to accomplish. And just as those soldiers had a mission, we as Christians also have a mission. It's a divine mission to bring peace and reconciliation between God and man and each other. So you can't be a peacemaker, first of all, unless you're at peace with God. And I don't know out there in the audience this morning, how many feel that you're always at peace with God? Do you feel like God's on your case a lot? I do. <laughs> I see hands going up in the audience out here. Uh, unless you're living a perfect life, I think there's going to be times that you need some reconciliation between uh, you and God through Jesus uh, and seeing what we go through daily. That There's a lot of things that we fall short of being at peace with God. There's some things that we struggle with lifelong to be at peace with God. There's things that we want to do on our own that God doesn't want us to do sometimes. And so being at peace with God is the key. We've got to get that part of the relationship right lots of things involved we're not going to go down that rabbit trail of all the things that are involved in being at peace with god as far as you know how you live your life and how you relate to god 
But that's the first step. If you've got to get at peace with God before you can do anything else. And the next thing I'd like for you to think about is being a peacemaker requires action. Peace being the first part of the word, meaning shalom, which we've covered about the many things that that means. But maker, peacemaker. To be a maker involves activity. It involves you actually doing something. It involves activity in the world. It involves activity with God. The being a peacemaker is an action thing. You just can't sit back and peace come to you and those around you. You have to be actively involved in the process of making peace with God and making peace with each other. So the word for peacemaker that was used here in, in blessed are the peacemakers is the same as the word used in Colossians 1.20. Colossians 1 verses 19 and 20 says, For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. In other words, God had an active plan. He sent Jesus Christ to walk on earth as a man, but be God himself, and he died on the cross for our sins. That was God's way of reconciling the human race to him, and it was an activity. Jesus came to earth and that peace with everything in this verse. It says he made peace with everything in heaven and on earth. That reconciliation process made Jesus the ultimate peacemaker. He gave us the peace that we needed with our Father. Uh, Jesus is referred to as the Prince of Peace. Isaiah 9:6 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and prince of peace so if jesus is the prince of peace he is a peacemaker obviously jesus is our role model for how we are to interact with each other we're going to have to learn to be like the prince of peace we're going to have to get peace in our hearts we're going to, have to be at peace with god and learn how to strive to bring shalom to those around us now this is where we're going to get into the meat of this morning's conversation online I think as well as, as what I'm trying to teach this morning, and, and hopefully the Holy Spirit will guide this, is this is not an easy task. How many of you have had children in your home for the last few weeks and have homeschooled them? How many of you had small children at home doing that? How many of you all have seen shalom in your homes for the past few weeks? I'm thinking that the hands in the audience went up for the first few questions, and then they went down when I mentioned shalom between between siblings. I've seen that actually. Uh, uh, Stephanie Henderson is here with us this morning. She's actually got to come and play keys with us for the first time, so we're excited to have her in here. Yay! Good to, good to have the gang back together, so to speak. But, you know, I've seen, I, I remember one day last week, David was commenting that I think Jackson and uh, was it just Braden? Was it? I was. I, I knew it couldn't be the, the littlest. <laughs> it had to be Braden. But talking about washing dishes and things they were doing, and I'm sure that those two, have, have, how well have Braden and Jackson gotten along? Yeah, she's pleading the fifth, so there is not shalom involved in this conversation, we can see. But guys, seriously, bringing peace within your own home, that's difficult, isn't it, sometimes? If you have children with different personalities, if you have children that like to pick at each other, you know, I, I have seen uh, Josh's kids do this. It's quite entertaining sometimes. They know how to pe push each other's buttons, and you can just kind of sit back and watch it go on. Uh, yeah, Josh says that his teachers, his kids' teachers lied when he said they were delight to teach. That has not happened at home. I've seen Zeke and Leilani in action. Uh, Zeke will do anything to frustrate her. Uh, 
Leilani will also do the same. I remember a great conversation. I believe it was Leilani and Zeke in the car. And Zeke kept crying, and, and Josh was like, what is wrong, son? What is wrong? She she called me a gorilla. <laughs> you know, and, and I'm thinking, that, that's funny, but there wasn't peace for Zeke in that situation because there was strife there. But bringing peace in our families is, is often difficult. But look at Romans 12, verse 18. It says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. There's a lot of good stuff in this verse. I think I like the first part of this verse the best because it says if possible as far as it depends on you live peaceably with all living in peace isn't always a hundred percent up to us there are things that we see that will not bring peace to the community to the family no matter what we do we can be as peaceable as we think we can if possible you do your part but that doesn't mean that everybody's going to live peaceably with you. If this were, were that easy, we would never have wars. We would never have strife. Everyone would get along. It would be great. It would look like an episode of Mr. Rogers. We would all be friends, and we would all care for our neighbors. But that's not the way it works. But as far as it being possible, you are the key in this. So don't go out and think that this is just going to be an easy thing because it revolves, it, it revolves around our personality and what we bring to the table in being a peacemaker. We are kind of under the microscope, so to speak, with, with God of, you know, look, how are you going to do this? You, you kind of have to put your feelings to the side often to be a peacemaker. You can't go forth with what you think is right other than Scripture, which is infallible in the truth. But as far as your opinion goes in making peace, sometimes you have to swallow your own pride and your own feelings to be the peacemaker because it does depend on you and how you react to the situations. And if we're going to make a move towards peace, you know, this, this so far as it depends on you is so key to what I'm going to try and teach this morning about it's up to us to bring peace to our communities, bring peace to our homes, bring peace to our families, bring peace to our churches. It is so far as it depends on us. Um, now, obviously, because this says, if possible, the writer of Scripture knew that maybe it wouldn't be possible at times and there would be a course of action that needed to be taken. And I really like this this section of verses because of the practicality. We're going to read this more from Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Okay? Let's just stop and pause right there. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. That doesn't say go tell your neighbor. That doesn't go say tell your pastor. Go tell anyone else. It says if your brother and you have a problem, you go to him first and work it out. Again, thinking of as far as it depends on you, there's the first step that you can take is if you have a problem with someone, you can go and visit them directly and speak with them and try and resolve this thing in a peaceable manner and bring shalom to your lives. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Okay? Now, there's a there's a, a preposition that says if he listens to you. He may not listen to you. You've done your part so far. You've gone. You've brought the grievance to your brother or sister. You've asked for forgiveness, perhaps. You've asked to make peace. And so you've gained a brother, perhaps. But if he does not listen... Take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So if you've been, bless you, I don't know if you guys could hear that or not, but bless you. Um, if, he, if you get in this situation where your brother has not 
agreed to peace between you. If the shalom is not possible between the two parties, you're to take someone with you. Take some witnesses. Take two or three of these witnesses with you. Now, this is not to gang up on the brother and convince him he's wrong. That's what we tend to do is we try to tend to get people on our side in a peacemaking situation so we can bring about the peace that we want, and we will force you into to submission. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about bringing these people, bringing the evidence forth, almost kind of like a jury trial, so that the evidence is laid out, and they can be somewhat mediators between the parties. They can they can look, and sometimes that also helps us if we've been wrong to see that, well, maybe the reason we got wronged was there was something in our lives that was misunderstood, et cetera, and this brother that we're having problems with misunderstood something, and maybe it could be partially us to blame, and usually it is. Usually when there's a situation like this, neither party is completely innocent and both had a, had a role to play in it. So it, if the brother rejects your peace, rejects your offer to bring bring things back to, together, you're to take others with you, and they're to help you work, walk through this peacemaking process to try and work through it. Again, the connotation of working, and there's activity here. There's something you have to do. It's not an easy task to accomplish, and you need others to support you in it sometimes. Now, if he refuses again to listen to them, tell it to the church. Okay? This is obviously talking about believers. This is talking about strife between believers. This isn't going to work with your friends at work, your friends in the community, etc. If they're not in this church, they're not in the body of Christ, it makes no sense to bring this to the church. This is talking about disagreements between believers. And so so if there's been these two individuals that have, have a grievance against each other and they've tried to work it out alone, they've tried to take people with them, then bring it to the church. And this is not for a church trial. Sometimes this has gotten misinterpreted, I think. Well, let's bring them, we'll call them out in front of the entire church and this will fix this problem. No, this is, again, so that there's the wisdom of the body of Christ, all of these believers together, and the Holy Spirit working through them. Hopefully you bring them before the church and it still gets worked out. There's Maybe there's, there's perhaps someone in the church that's been in this situation. They can offer some wisdom. That's the reason we, we seek wise counsel sometimes is people have been through things that we haven't and they can say, hey, this happened to me and, and my brother or my sister, and this is, this is how we work this out. And so you take those people before the church again. And then finally, if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. In other words, for the harmony of the church body as a whole, if this person has made some grievance or whatever, they just kind of ostracize them, which is a harsh thing to do. And we don't see churches practice that today because we very rarely practice anything in Matthew 18, to be honest. We don't go to the individual. We, What we tend to do is we tend to bring it as a gossip thing to our church, and we talk to everybody we think will be on our side of it and tell them how bad this person is. Then we get on, on Facebook and we make some kind of nuanced comment about it, and then we try and gather people on our side instead of working it out through this process. So we rarely see it go down to this this case, this is a very serious thing if it's gone before the church. And we're talking about things that were serious offenses. This is not that somebody hurt your feelings and you two don't get along, so one of you has to leave the church. That's not what that's a, that's like. That's that's one of the things that breaks my heart, honestly, when we see divorce in our communities is what winds up happening. Either one person, we talk about getting custody of the children, one person either gets custody of the church and is and they're consoled about how the, their, their spouse was so horrible to them, they're so glad they're still in church, or what winds up happening is they both leave the church because they don't feel they have a place there anymore. And that's sad, you know, is to see people that because they couldn't work things out in their marriage doesn't mean that you can't be part of a body of believers. And it, it is saddening to see that that's one of the ways that our enemy Satan 
you know, makes divorce even worse than what it already is. Is he he comes into our body as a, a group of believers, and you know, what's the best way to to separate you know to harm someone is to separate them from their pack, so to speak. You see this in in the um, videos we see about wild animals. Is you separate the weaker from the pack. It makes us weak to not be with our our church community. That's one of the things that we're hurting for right now is the face-to-face contact and being part of a church community. It weakens all of us. And that's one of the tools that Satan does. If I can get you away from those people that support you, you're much weaker and I can do things in your life. Now, hopefully the believers, when they get divorced, hopefully they will go. And if they don't feel comfortable in the church that they were married and, and, and were together in, that they will go their separate ways and find separate churches. But unfortunately that it tends to not happen that way unless they, unless they, um, get back into dating or something and they find a, another believer that believes like them and then they they find a church together so just one of the many ways that satan drives a wedge in our church communities is through through divorce and things like that but so this peacemaking deal is difficult work it isn't always accepted and it makes us want to sometimes take shortcuts okay and that's where we're really going to get into trouble is when we start trying to bring peace about either forcibly or many times more than that it's our, our wanting to be a peacemaker so bad that we don't want any conflict in our lives. We can't see how bringing peace can possibly come with conflict around us. So what we do is we just ignore the conflict. We sweep it under the rug. We say, well, you know, you know how they are, so we just won't talk about that. And people get hurt greatly in that. Uh, marriages dissolve because of this. Families are fragmented and absolutely tortured because sometimes rather than have the conflict and get the things out in the open that need to be said, they're swept under the rug for years and years and years until it finally explodes in a horrible situation for the entire family. It hurts the children, it hurts the spouses, hurts the, the relatives around them because of the absence of conflict. Being a peacemaker does not mean you avoid conflict at all costs. And I think as Christians, um, we tend to be a little bit, of a pacifist uh, maybe is the word for it that I'm looking for. We don't want to be involved in conflict. We want everybody to love us and love each other, which is great, but we've got to realize that that doesn't always happen. It didn't even happen when Jesus was here on earth. His disciples didn't agree sometimes. His disciples didn't agree with him. There was conflict among the believers then. There's conflict among the believers now, and there's conflict between believers in the world around us. So to think that absence of conflict is going to bring peace is is not realistic because there's always going to be conflict here and sometimes healthy conflict is good for us it makes us think it makes us look and examine our lives and we try and decide are there things i need to improve in my life are there areas that need work are there areas that i'm the one creating the conflict maybe uh unintentionally uh people we've all done that so that absence of conflict, don't be striving for absence of conflict. Be striving for making peace within the conflict, making peace amongst those around you, making peace with people in the world, people in the church, people at your work, people in your family. Don't You're going to have to face the conflict, so try and do it, like in Matthew says, in a peaceable manner where you go one-on-one with the individual to start with. And that's very important for uh, spouses to do. Don't drag your kids into the middle of your conflict. That's not just like in this verse of Scripture. If your husband or your wife is the one that has hurt you, you need to go to them and reconcile with them first, just just like in this brother situation, two brothers here that have have a conflict. You as a spouse, you need to go to your spouse and, and work that out and not think that going and involving your children on one side or the other is a wise thing to do. 
all that does is it spreads the conflict. Instead of containing it, you're spreading it throughout your whole family. So that conflict, you need to be able to work it one-on-one often. Uh, that's the best way to do it. So, so think about that, that peace does not mean the absence of conflict. Secondly, ignoring conflict doesn't make it go away. I've already mentioned that a, a bit this morning. It just festers. It makes it worse. The conflict, it's one of those things that I think you can set aside in the corner in the dark, and it will grow like crazy. You know, most plants and things need sunlight and need to be out in the open to grow. I think conflict is just the opposite. It thrives in darkness and seclusion. And you keep, you know, you keep mulling over in your head, these are the things that I'm mad about. And the conflict just grows and grows and grows till finally it bursts forth in your life and you have to deal with it. So ignoring it does not going to make it go away. It's going to be sitting over here in the corner, festering and growing in the dark until it jumps out in your life and you have to deal with it. Thirdly, Glossing over problems doesn't make you a peacemaker. Oh my, that's a that's a good one for us as a church. We, uh, I've ran our recovery group here, and one of the things that I quickly learned as a kind of a newbie at that was glossing over the problem doesn't help the problem at all. <laughs> uh, people are often, and we need to support each other. We need to love on each other. There's no doubt about that. But sometimes there is a time that comes for brutal, honest conversation. And that may bring conflict. It may it may be an, a message that the, the other party doesn't want to hear in that peacemaking process. But if you're going to reconcile, you know, one of the things you're trying to do, which is, is really interesting in the addiction recovery ministry, is you're trying to reconcile someone to themselves a lot of times. It's not a problem they have. Sometimes they have problems with their family that have driven them to, to their addiction stuff. But usually it's something that's missing inside, that they're trying to reconcile with themselves how to bring that peace in their lives. And if they don't have that conflict in their own lives, they're never going to get get peace in their lives because that conflict is what they're trying to manage. They're trying to manage that conflict of, of going over here to the things I'm addicted to versus dealing with the things in my life that are so stressful to me. So until they can reconcile that, there can be no peace. And for us to go in and gloss over that and just say, well, you know, just pray about it and God will help. We have to sometimes make practical steps in our life to resolve, resolve conflict in our lives and with other people. And if we just gloss over it and say it's not a problem, it's just like leaving it festering in the corner over here. It's going to grow and grow and grow until we don't have any peace at all. And one of the things I'd like to, to caution, I've talked a little bit about this as far as social media goes and things, is Talking about others instead of talking to them never leads to peace. I don't know how many of you have experienced that, you know, maybe out, out there watching this morning. There's nothing worse than to find out that somebody's been talking about you behind your back, about your faults. And maybe it's something that you weren't even at fault at, and that can be just infuriating to you, is that people are over here talking, do you know what so-and-so did? Well, you didn't actually do that, but the rumor has gotten out there, and then these people that are out there talking about you instead of to you about the problem have spread this throughout your, your friends, maybe throughout your family, throughout your coworkers and stuff. Do you know what so-and-so did? Talking about others instead of to them is never going to bring peace. That's what we were talking about in Matthew. That's one of the reasons you have to go face-to-face -face with the person. And that's how this happens a lot of the time is that instead of going person-to-person, -person, we went kind of around that and went to our friends and so then this starts this rumor about well do you know what so-and-so did and and that peace is never brought because you're talking about them instead of to them so and our culture today has a horrible problem with this about not talking directly with each other and not going through difficult issues and i want us to watch a short video uh, this morning 
where uh, former President Obama, he talks very candidly about what it means to be a peacemaker sometimes. You know, this, this idea of purity and you're never compromised and you're always politically woke and all that stuff, I, you should get over that quickly. The world, the world is messy. There are ambiguities. People who do really good stuff have flaws. People who you are fighting may love their kids. And you know, share certain things with you. And 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 I think that one danger I see among young people, particularly on college campuses, Malia and I talk about this. Yara goes to school with my daughter. Um, but I do get a sense sometimes now among certain young people, and this is accelerated by social media. There is this sense sometimes of the way of me making change is to be as judgmental as possible about other people. And that's enough. Like if I tweet or hashtag about how you didn't do something right or used the word wrong verb or then I can sit back and feel pretty good about myself because man, you see how woke I was? I called you out. <laughs> Let me get on TV, watch my show, watch Gronish. Um, you know, that's not, that's not activism. That, that's not bringing about change. You know, if, 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 if all you're doing is casting stones, uh, you know, you're, you're probably not going to get that far. That's easy to do. Great video there from President Obama. Uh, there's a lot of things he said in there. I think the, the, the first thing I'd like to point out is the last thing he said. You're not going to get anywhere casting stones. But he had some very insightful comments throughout this video. He says, the world is messy and there are ambiguities. People who do really good stuff have flaws. My goodness. How often do we overlook all the good people do for one flaw because we don't like what they said? You know, they, they made one mistake. They, you know, and all of us have made mistakes. We've all, uh, the Bible tells us we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of God's standard. So certainly all people in the world are in the same boat as us. And we look at that one flaw and decide that they're not a good person because they messed up this one time. And they said something I didn't agree with or something that was wrong. Uh, we tend to, to then label and stigmatize those people by, by that one thing that they've done wrong that we didn't agree with. So, you know, we, we need to get past those flaws and realize there's, there's ambiguities in all this, that there's, and we're going to talk a little bit about that here in a minute. Um, there's this sense of sometimes of the way of me making change is to be as judgmental as possible about other people, and that's enough. Oh, my goodness. He's right about that's enough in more than one ways. I've had enough of that. I don't know about you guys, the... Uh, the culture of where we condemn others in order to get them to agree with us, I, I'm so tired of seeing that. Uh, and, and some of you may not be exposed to it as much if you don't expose yourself to social media. Uh, it's a lot easier sometimes. I know we have I have good friends here in church that um, they don't even have a Facebook account, so they miss out on all this good stuff. Um, but it is it's a good thing to miss out on office because there is so much of this, you know, uh, President Obama goes on to say, like, if I tweet or hashtag about how you didn't do something right or use the wrong verb, then I can sit back and feel pretty good about myself. Because, man, you see how woke I was? I called you out. My goodness. Have you seen anybody called out on social media in the past week? 
If you hadn't been on it this morning, you've missed, because I'm sure somebody was called out this morning for something about the coronavirus crisis that we're facing. Uh, we have tended somehow, instead of being peacemakers, we're bandwagon jumper owners. I don't know if that's a word, bandwagon jumper owner, but it is now. It's gonna, you, can, you can hashtag that in the comments if you laugh, bandwagon jumper owners. Um, but seriously, we are a people that tend to like to really jump on the bandwagon when it meets what we agree with. We tend to want, if we see somebody condemning others, we don't think about the other person's point of view. We just automatically assume we're right and we jump in there and we try and shame you into our point of view. We tell you what a bad person you are or how uneducated you are or, or anything like that because you don't agree with our point of view. What we have lost there is the idea of nuance. Um, there was an article, I think it was this past week, it may have been the week before, um, talking about don't let COVID divide your congregation, talking about whether your church should meet and, and should you meet and should you wear a mask and should you do this and should you do that. We are here as a church serve a much larger purpose than whether we meet or not, and we shouldn't be fighting in amongst ourselves about that. But the problem is we lack nuance these days, and nuance is that, that thing that means it's neither far to this direction or that, but it's a little piece of each, and we need to do that. Mark and I were talking this morning. Uh, neither Mark nor I, I think fall into any pol particular political spectrum, so that means everybody is always mad at us. <laughs> because if you're not taking one side or the other, if you take this side, you'll have a bunch of supporters. If you take this side, you'll have a bunch of supporters. If there's things in both these sides that you see and you see their arguments and you agree with some and disagree with some, everybody hates you because you won't take sides. It's hard to be, a, in, be modern in anything these days. And what has happened is we have lost the art of nuance in our culture. And the reason is uh, we've been conditioned to this, and this is not a rail on social media because you guys know I've, I like to participate in social media as well. I like to keep up with my friends that way and church members and, and events in the community and things like that. But what has happened is social media is click and view driven. That's how revenue is generated through social media is by the number of clicks and views that you get on your topic. And so what happens is as you go, go through and start clicking on these things, you will see the ones that get the most posts, the most interactions in the community are the ones that are the least nuanced, okay? The ones that are black and white, you either like this or don't, that's where all the click activity and the views come from. And I just wanted to prove this to myself this morning just to see. So I went on uh, one of the local news channel's websites and I scrolled through the posts and I looked and there were things about a, a tragic fire. There were things about uh, COVID numbers in the community. There were things about people helping each other in the community, which were good things. There were things about Memorial Day. And then I went down and I was looking at the number of comments on each one. You would have zero, something really good. You might get two comments on that were positive about what a blessing it was to the community, that somebody had done something good in the community. And then I get down to one that involved a little bit of politics. And this is how silly we as a society have gotten to. The debate was over how President Trump had donated his check and whether people agreed with where he had donated his check for should he be donated. Is he the greatest ever? Is he the worst ever? And just this morning, that post had 312 comments already. That's because we lack nuance. I'm not going to agree with everything President Trump does. I'm not going to agree with everything President Obama did. I'm not going to dislike everything they do either. So that that level of nuance in our society is no longer there. And what happens is we get polarized into these camps 
and it can be anything. It's not just politics. We will see fights erupt over whether you should wear a mask in public right now. That's another one that you can go down through there and look in the comments on social media. That's a hot button topic. People people really are opinionated about that. And so so what happens is is we fall into those camps. And I just want to leave you this morning before we get into the conversation period with a couple of things, um, some verses here, and some ideas about how we cannot participate in this as, as Christians. There are times as Christians we definitely need to be involved in our world and in things. We need to be activists, honestly. There are things that are going on that um, aren't pleasing to God, and there are things that because we live in a free country, we can participate in our society and bring about change through our officials and government and things like that and policies and laws that we as Christians have the privilege to be able to do that and we should take advantage of that. But where we don't do any good is when we just get into these foolish arguments with each other. Now, I don't know how people existed before social media and getting their opinions out. I mean, you would have an opinion article in the, the paper or whatever, and maybe they would sit around after some social event and talk, but the the amount of hatred, the dispute, I don't I don't see anybody being able to do that in person. When I was growing up, if you said some of the things that, that are said online, you'd get a punch in the nose is how it would be solved. If you were that if you were that that violent about your opinions to someone else and that that opinionated and, and calling people out this this being woke culture of, you know, you need to call out all these things. That that will get you a punch in the nose. But because we don't do that, we have this virtual community where we beat up on each other. And what we see there, uh, and I think it is this, we it's not about our opinions. We all have our opinions, and that's okay. It's just an opinion. It's no big deal. It's not law. It's not fact. It's not even necessarily truth, but it's our opinion. But when we post things on social media, what we want to see is I want to see my opinion coming out of your mouth is what I'm really after. I'm not about intelligent conversation. I'm not about nuance. I want to see somebody that supports me wholly and wants to have the same opinion that I do. And I want to see my opinion coming out of your mouth and you supporting me and agreeing with me and pat me on the back and tell me how great I am. And all this leads to stupid arguments. Uh, it leads to arguments within families. It leads to arguments online. It leads to arguments at work. And here's what scripture has to say about that. You know, it's amazing how relevant scripture can be to you know, social media was not even a thought in the in the writer's mind when he wrote Second Timothy. But listen to how relevant this is. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone, able to teach patiently, enduring evil. That has lately become one of my favorite verses. I mean, listen to this. Don't have anything to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know, and sometimes being the peacemaker, it's difficult to navigate our society. Um, I have to watch what I post on social media. Even if it is not opinionated, somebody will jump in and try and make it so. If it has, if it's even on the fringes of some hot-button topic, people will jump in and suddenly, well, you're this. You know, it's really, and I guess, can I pat myself on the back? I have been, yeah, I think I can this morning because I have I have been online and I have been called the abs. You're one of those horrible Trump supporters, and I've also been called one of those horrible liberal Obama people. So I must be doing something right because I'm making everybody mad. Is the only way I can look at it because I have literally had, and I have very good friends that that live in both of the extremes of those camps. And you know what? We don't argue about those things. 
I know your opinion. I know that that's, that's the way you think. It's not my job on earth here to change your opinion about that. It's my job on earth to, to change your opinion about Jesus Christ and who he is and what he can mean to you. That's my job as a, as a pastor, as a, as a Christian living out in society. All this stuff, whether you wear a mask or not, when you get to heaven, maybe you get there a little quicker if you don't wear one. Maybe you get to stay here on earth longer if you do wear one. You know, those things in eternity aren't going to matter. It's going to matter as to how you represented Jesus Christ here on earth. And when we're involved in, all, in foolish, ignorant, ignorant controversies, that sounds, that's ESV uh, is what I'm reading from this morning here. Foolish, ignorant controversies. That sounds like something a good old boy would even say. Foolish and ignorant, and that's that's what we, we represent ourselves as. And we're representing our Savior. Remember back at the very start of the message, I said we were sons of God and what that meant, that we represented the family? What happens is we're representing God, and we make God look like he's involved in these foolish, ignorant controversies. And that's something we don't need to be doing as Christians. We need to be peacemakers. And you can't be peacemakers in social media. I will tell you right now, if you jump into an opinionated conversation on social media, you will not be the peacemaker. It's, it's just not going to happen. Now, you can go one-on-one -on -one and have conversations with your friends. That happened this week with our group of Kingdom Partners. Mark was telling me about a fantastic phone call this week that they had about racial tensions and what was going on. Um, and what we as, as, as white Christians need to know from our African-American, Latino, and other minority pastor friends, the things that we need to know that we don't think about because there are things that we're privileged to that they don't, that we don't experience that, that other races do in our community. And they had a fantastic conversation about that. They didn't go and, and post online, well, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? They had a conversation. They didn't meet in person, but they had a, like a Zoom call or whatever. And so they met and talked those things out instead of being foolish and ignorant and calling names and things and found out, you know, it was a sensitive topic. It was something that many people probably wouldn't approach. But we're developing relationships with friends, and we want to... We want that relationship to carry through these controversies and carry through the things that are difficult to talk about. We want to be peacemakers in our community. We want to see see these racial divides and things that we see in our community. We want to see those gone away. The politics and all that stuff, we don't care about all that. We just want to see Jesus Christ glorified in our community and a group of Christians who have different backgrounds and different skin colors come together and do that, that for the glory of God. Finally, I'd like to leave you with this from Proverbs 15, 18. It says, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Sometimes we have to control our tempers to be a peacemaker, to bring peace, to bring that shalom in our lives, to, to how we relate with others. You know, if we're hot-tempered, we need to we need to cool that part of us before we even go and, and try that one-on-one -on -one conversation. We need to look. And if we're angry, we're not reconciled with God because God's not a God of anger. He doesn't portray that through our society. He's not... He is a just God, and he does punish for things that are that that we do. But God is not going out here, and he's looking to smite us for every wrong thing we do because he's angry with us. He's not that kind of God, and, and we portray him wrong as we, when we act as sons of God and we don't portray his true nature. We're, we're not doing the things that we should when we're angry. And we should be slow, to, and if we're slow to anger, it quiets contention. In other words, if we don't escalate that situation, if we come in and we're slow to anger, we don't let our emotions get in the conversation, that makes us a true peacekeeper, peacemaker, because we're quieting the contention in the room. Sometimes there's lots of different ways to do that, 
but you can't do it out of an angry spirit. And that's the thing I'd like to leave you with today. If you want to really truly be a peacemaker, look inside of you. Look for that, that inner shalom. Look for that peace with God. And then once you get that peace with God, bring it into any situation that you're involved in like that. Don't be the one that throws gasoline on the fire. Don't be the one that brings more anger into the room. Be the one that is slow to anger and helps quiet the contention because we have a quite contentious society today. There's a lot of controversy. There's a lot of people that are being hurt. There's a lot of injustices that we as, as Christians need to be attentive to in our own communities. And, and we here at Journey are, are trying to, to see more of that. So just like to leave you with that this morning as we uh, as the band comes up, they're going to play a, a final song for us. And then we will have online discussion. I hope you've overwhelmed Mark with questions. Looking forward to chatting with you guys online afterwards as long as you'd like to stay. But please uh, go ahead and worship with us. <laughs> 